0: Hey guys, Brandon here. We'll get you to the show in just a second. And if you want to listen to That 90s Baseball Pod early and ad-free, make sure to sign up at patreon.com slash that Baseball Pod. Subscribers at any level get the show as soon as it's created, early and ad-free. Now, for our sponsors, we have eParade, which is reasonably priced trendy kitchenware. That's ePAre.com Promo code 10 T90BP10. So that 90s baseball pod, T90BP, with 10 on either side. app that's S I M B U L L.app, is the stock market for sports. If you use the promo code BENDER, you get a free week of Symbol Gold. Hinterland Coffee in Minnesota is a freshly roasted coffee experience every single week. Monthly subscriptions get 10% off. Go to hinterlandmn.com. Three Star Sports Cards. You can find them online or in person in Bloomington on Lindale Avenue or in Little Canada on Rice Street or threestarsportscards.com. And finally, Humility Chains. Royce Lewis's mom, Cindy, makes stylish, affordable chains and necklaces and bracelets that go, uh, the proceeds go directly to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer. So a portion, again, of those proceeds go to the Nigu Foundation to help children fighting cancer cancer more than 20 styles of chains and bracelets are available they're affordable they look great i'm wearing mine right now i highly recommend them it's humility chains on etsy so look up etsy and then search for humility chains and now on to your show Hello, hello. We are back here for another episode of That 90s Baseball Pod. I am your host, Brandon Warren, and you can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And across the screen from me is former big league righty Greg Olson. You can find him on Twitter at G-R-E-G-G-O-L-S-O-N 30. How are we doing today, man? I I understand you have a new family member that uh, you might be able to introduce us to.
1: Yeah, I do. We're trying to figure out a name for him. I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Crash and here he is that looks like a crash to me he does look like a crash he's a bernese mountain dog about eight weeks and um he just uh made a mess in the house so i'm sitting on the back porch
0: yeah ours is 12 weeks his name is rocco we didn't talk about him last week but he is and i'm not going to move my camera but i'll have him i'll have him on i'll hold him up sometime (laughs) when he's allowed to be out during the program, which right now is not the case. So yeah, a lot of exciting stuff going on, a lot of exciting (laughs) stuff going on in baseball. If you're watching the YouTube, you can actually see, I've got my playoff beard going on already, which is uh, it's really got to go, but my wife has been too busy to cut my hair. So um, that's a good thing. She started her own thing. She's got her own salon. If she's too busy, that means that she's doing good. But that's really good it's for the detriment of our live stream and so i apologize for that but if you are listening on patreon thank you so much you're getting this episode early and ad free if you're not i did put together a little ad package i don't know greg if you heard it but i did the baseball tonight music underneath it so i thought maybe you'd appreciate that
1: i like that well done
0: so you can uh check out some of our sponsors there we are Powered by Access Twins. I'm rocking the Access Twins uh, jacket and hat today. As you can see, this is why I don't wear hats forward though, because uh, my big old melon does not look good in small hats like that. But did you receive your that 90s baseball pod hat yet?
1: I did, I got it yesterday. Right on. Looks okay. Sharp. Very nice. So
0: if people are interested, they are there are they're gray. The Access Twins ones come in black, gray, and charcoal. But if you want a that 90s baseball pod one gray only 20 bucks just hit me up on twitter and i'll get you all squared away but we had a fun episode last week greg swindell was on and before that ben mcdonald have you heard any feedback about how people have felt about having big leaguers on like that cuz I, I think we're i'm working on one more right now that i think he, he responded this morning we've been talking about it back and forth you and me i think we got a chance to reel this one in
1: oh good um yeah i got one or two ideas on some guys and then um uh, You know, we'll see how that goes, but it would be one of my favorite pitching coaches and it would be appropriate, you know, with what we're going to be discussing a little bit today, might have him see when he can come on. He was traveling last week, so he couldn't do it. And, and, um, but I I haven't gotten any feedback, negative or positive, positive. I think it'd be kind of fun to, you know, get some viewpoints of some guys that, uh, I don't know, you know what you'd mean? unless you're following Twitter, you're not going to see Greg's window much unless you're following the Longhorn network. Right. And um, you know, Ben McDonald's on Twitter quite a bit and doing uh, a lot of uh, the Orioles stuff and ES- ESPN. Um, so you'll see him quite a bit, but he doesn't, uh, doesn't always chime in on baseball. So it was kind of fun having him on.
0: Yeah. And so people, if you like the show, give us a five-star review on Apple podcasts or whatever platform you're listening. If you don't like hit me in the DMS and we'll work on, improving to suit your needs but before we get going it is the I guess it's not technically the eve of the postseason but it is the precursor we've got the wild card games coming up here and so first of all we've got the Red Sox Yankees we can talk about a little bit also two Dodgers and Cardinals first I want to ask though with this postseason are there any connections or ties that you have that you're really monitoring closely because I feel like as a baseball guy, even though you haven't played in the big leagues for a few years now, the, the web of connections in baseball is always spiraling out. And uh, so you probably have some people you're rooting for in some form or fashion.
1: Yeah. You know, there's always somebody it's the, the people that I played against now are the coaches managers and, or uh, played with. So yeah, you got a little bit of guys that you follow, check in on. Um, but uh I think once Adrian Beltre retired, that was the last of my former teammates.
0: Wow. Uh, that's a, that's quite a web though. We should sometime find out the oldest and youngest of your teammates, because sometimes it's fun to see how wide that span reaches. You know, you get a, a satchel page in there, or you get a, a Julio Franco in there and it really stretches out that web for who yeah. they played with and when they started versus when they finished. But, I personally like the Red Sox tonight and I like the Dodgers over the Cardinals, but there's just something about those Cardinals. In fact, I was looking up the Cardinals and found an article about you and a uh, picture of you in a Cardinals uniform. So that was kind of cool, but um, uh, th- that's who I like. Who do you like for
1: the wild card games? Oh man. Uh, the Yankees are scorching hot. Um, at least they were. So I, I, I'm kind of leaning towards them. Um, Man, Dodgers. Dodgers are tough. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'll stick with.
0: It certainly hurts the case uh, for the Red Sox that J.D. Martinez is out after tripping over. I think it was second base. Um, So he's not on the the roster for the game. And so that's going to be difficult. But they are at home, so you got that benefit. I actually – suffered a similar fate one time. Um, so I, I never hit a home run in a game that counted. I've hit him in softball. I've hit him in BP, but I hit an absolute rocket shot in a game in Wisconsin one time. And this guy goes back and really mazes it over his head and dejected. I walk off the field and trip over first base. So I, I can, <laughs> I, I go from the pinnacle of, I just about hit my first ever home run at age like 28 or 29 to flat on my face in the span of about 10 seconds. That's, um, that's quite a comeuppance. I have to say
1: that is pretty good. Um, yeah, tough break for JD. I, I I'm trying to run through the scenario of, of you, you getting robbed. Didn't drop your head cause you would have noticed first space. So I uh, yes. kind of run through what that looks like. It's not good. It's,
0: it's really not good, but, um, you know, live to fight another day. Uh, My, my, the thing that I'm trying to manifest into the universe, and I don't have this kind of power. And frankly, I suspect you don't either is uh, I would love to see Tampa and the giants play in the world series. Uh, It's, it's a one versus one, which rarely happens. It's like when you pick it your Monday or your, your March madness brackets. And if you end up with all ones at the end, you know, you're not going to win because it never seems to go that way. But I feel like, Tampa and San Francisco would be just such a unique world series. They both had such awesome regular seasons. Uh, there's a fun story there. I mean, nobody believed that the, the giants could beat the Padres, let alone the Dodgers and Tampa Bay just finds a way to do it every single year. What world series matchup do you think you would find most compelling between uh, what, what AL and NL clubs?
1: I gotta be honest with you. I, I, I kind of, I, I would find the, the Rays-San Francisco, pretty intriguing. Um, yeah. <laughs> really hard to look at San Francisco like it's a, a, a lower payroll team, but in the grand scheme of the NL West, they are. Um, and, you know, like you said, they are probably, you know, picked to finish last by all the pundits or close to with Arizona having such the year that they had. Um. yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good World Series to watch.
0: Yeah, and San Francisco has kind of done it with this recipe the the past few times they've won the World Series. And actually, what kind of surprised me is towards the end of the season, I saw a tweet that said Brandon Belt had, I think it was, 28 home runs at the time. That was the most by a giant since Barry Bonds had retired. And I had to go back and look, and I was like, that can't be right. But then I start going through, you know, kind of rolling – backwards and i'm like well buster posey's a catcher so he probably didn't play long enough in in a season to hit 30 bombs and otherwise you had these weird years where guys like cody ross pop up and have a nice season or brandon crawford has a nice season um joe panic so like i looked and i'm like you know what that's right they've never had a guy hit 30 home runs since barry bonds retired or <laughs> was uh, ushered out of the game in free agency that year but um yeah they have that feel like they've had in previous years when they've won the world series where it's just a team of uh uh, you know some the sum is greater than the parts or i don't know how you quite put it but
1: i i get the sense that that they could make some noise um yeah i'm kind of running through it you're going hunter pence not a really big bomb guy uh posey
0: belt himself
1: Never put the bombs together. I never looked at Belt like he was a big home run guy. No, he's like that uh, fifteen
0: to twenty uh, guy. When he, if he were to stay yeah. healthy and and he get gets on base, and I think he's a pretty good defender, kind of like an Eric Hosmer with less name recognition.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, then he start going going through it, and it's like going okay, you know, tough place to tough place to go deep at night. Yeah, it's always it's always cool, cold, heavy air, and uh, man, I'm going back. You know, they had some, they had Mark, Mark Burrell uh, for a couple of years and man, he was a power guy in the oh, middle. Pat Burrell. I, Pat Burrell. Pat, thank you. Oh, yeah. I got, I I'm thinking of, Mark. Um, <laughs> and then. Um, Aubrey Huff, the he who need not be mentioned. You no, know, Pablo, well, Pablo Sandoval. Yep. he could hit. Uh, probably got close for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, probably but, 24, 25 in there before he went into free agency.
1: So you don't you don't want to do an Aubrey Huff uh, version?
0: No, oh, maybe we'll see. <laughs> we could have Kurt Schilling and Aubrey Huff and just go go all scorched earth.
1: Yeah, I, I you know we we'll leave the politics out of this yeah. um, this equation. But I didn't didn't think anything about it. You know when I was like threw it out there and and uh, somebody on Twitter was going. Oh, yeah. Brandon, uh, that wouldn't go good. I was like, Honestly,
0: honestly, it would go fine. People think they know what I believe politically, but they have no idea because I don't talk about it. So
1: um, it would go fine. Yeah, the one or two times that I've said something and uh, it's like, it's not even worth it.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) I know. Better left unsaid. No, people have no idea what I believe. They think they do, but they don't. And so today we have, I've been kicking this around for a little while. And it's it's kind of a foundational thing for a pitcher, their relationship with a pitching coach. And so I kind of wanted to get down to the nitty gritty with you. Um, you know, we've talked about was it Al Jackson that you had in Baltimore?
1: He was my uh, he was my first pitching coach right. when I came up in eighty eight eighty nine. Yeah. So you got the first. You got the ones that are
0: more legendary you've got the ones that you worked with for multiple years versus one year there's a lot of meat on the bone so I thought you know we'll talk about it what it's like to to have a pitching coach relationship with a pitcher how maybe you had some better ones I'm not I'm not gonna say necessarily ever had a bad one because I don't know but you know it's it's two grown men having opinions it can probably be a little contentious but for for where I want to start so you're you said your dad coached you in high school correct correct so when did you have your first formal like, person who was dictated as a pitching coach?
1: Um, probably when I got to college. You know, I, I, um, there was a guy named Gene Hines that lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Okay. And he played in the Dodgers chain and had worked with Sandy Koufax or played with him, you know, throughout. I don't, I don't know exactly the whole background of the story. But he lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which was right across the river from Omaha. Got to know my dad, you know, was one of those pro guys that always gave back and would, you know, come and help guys. And, and um, so we started, uh, he started teaching me the curveball or teaching my dad the curveball. And so I don't know if, you know, you can call that a formal pitching coach. You know, it's not like today where... I can go give lessons to anybody and everybody if they want them. Um, he would just come by and we would, we would work on the breaking ball. He came up with using a, a, a the can for tennis balls and just, you know, trying to create the spin that you would on a curve ball using that. So you can see it um, taping two baseballs together, uh, a Coke can, whatever, to uh, learn how to create the spin. So that was really the first guy that I kind of outside of my father tinkered with some stuff. And, uh, obviously that one paid off in the long, in the long run with, um, the ability to throw the curveball. But I, I probably look at it and go, you know, when I got to college here and, and, uh, we were talking about possible guests, he did not play in the big leagues, but you know, had, had an effect on a lot of big leaguers that, um, you know, I was thinking of my college, coach, Hal Baird, maybe coming on because yeah. he has a wealth, wealth of stories. Um, had Frank Thomas, Bo Jackson, myself at, in the late '80s, as well as a couple other big leaguers. My uh, my room college roommate, Stacy Jones, and then you know, taught Tim Hudson. So has uh, had a bunch of major leaguers, and and like I said, a wealth of knowledge. He might be an entertaining guest at some point. Well, we always like
0: those. W- w- did you have? Did it did it give you a preconceived notion of what your relationship would be like with a pitching coach, or when you went to school, did you have like, were you eagerly anticipating having a pitching coach, or were you not even really thinking about it?
1: Wasn't really thinking about it. Um, you know, it was just a, a relationship with my dad that you, you didn't didn't change aspects of. You didn't think about it. You know, in in terms of a relationship with other people, and so when I got here, Hal Baird was the head coach as well as the pitching coach. And it was just – it was a relationship with a head coach as much as a pitching coach. It was – I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, I don't think I really had that relationship until I probably got to the big leagues. Or at least I got drafted by the Orioles, and then Dick Bosman was the uh, oh, yeah. the minor league coordinator and ended up being my pitching coach later on in Baltimore. But so he was kind of the first one where, you know – Strictly a a pitching conversation. Yeah. Is it, is the instruction different in
0: college as opposed to, I mean, we don't really have to talk about the minor leagues because you were only there for a cup of coffee, but um, the big leagues, was the instruction different? Because you're talking about in college, I mean, you're technically a man, but you're still kind of young to the game. You're a young man to the game versus the big leagues where you're, you know, like, like, managers say, if you don't like it, you can go play in the next league up. Oh, wait, wait, there's no next league up. Um, <laughs> that's one of my favorite lines. I'm sure t- yeah, that, that is what,
1: uh, yeah, that's one. <laughs> I,
0: I can't remember who I heard that from. It might have been Buck Showalter, if I'm being honest. But, um, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, if you don't like this league, go play some. Oh, wait, there's not another league up. Yeah, yeah. is uh,
0: it, was the instruction did it have the same basis rooted in kind of thing, or or was it um, you're learning the game versus you're honing your game.
1: You know what? That's uh, that great question. Um, I, I think the instruction at the college level is more basic because it needs to be. You know, you got kids that um, have it's, I mean, if, if you're sitting there, if you watch the Auburn LSU football game this weekend, you saw Bo Nix and running all over the place and getting by with athleticism and making throws that you don't see on Sunday,
0: yeah. you know,
1: unless, unless it's Kyler Murray. Um and so yeah, and so same thing in college, in high school baseball the college baseball. I got to the SEC, I, I couldn't get away with doing the high school stuff. I couldn't get away with you know, every once in a while deciding to drop down and throw a sidearm thing just because it felt like it would be
0: interesting. Or an automatic um, curveball on know 2
1: Yeah, and so you your your work with your coaches is more basic at that level because i i think back in the 80s 90s you know we didn't have a pitching coach for every 12-year-old kid mechanics are a mess and you can come from a high school that they didn't have a guy who really understood pitching so your mechanics are a mess so you got guys that are getting here going you know needing fixing and i you know i i needed i needed i needed work offensively, defensively, pitching. And so when I got here, it was an overhaul on a, a grand scheme.
0: What is the pitching coach situation like with like Team USA where, I mean, they're instructing you, but they're not really building you up for your future in the sense of multiple years. With college, it's multiple seasons. With the big leagues, it's as long as you're on the team. But with Team USA, it's uh, the rest of the summer.
1: You know what? It, uh, the, the Team USA aspect equates to minor league baseball now. Okay. Um, minor league baseball now, you'll, they'll draft a guy in the first 10 rounds, and he'll get into the minor leagues. And it was an interesting – although I don't, I don't know how to uh, – I don't know my theory on it. You know, it, it's difficult – But so when I was scouting with the Padres, they had one or two guys and they had one in particular that they were trying to rush through the minor leagues because he was going to blow out. Yeah. His his mechanics were awful. His stuff was unbelievable. Like a
0: Joel Zumaya kind of thing.
1: Yes. He's going to blow out. It's going to be a matter of time. It's not an if it's a when. And I'm kind of sitting in the room and they're going, you know, we kind of need to push him through the minor leagues. And I'm sitting in the room going, why don't, one of your geniuses fix him. Yeah. And they're like going, yeah, you know, and they kind of hem and haw and, you know, find out later on that the, the theory was that they'd rather a guy go as far as he can go with bad mechanics. And then he gets to triple A and he fails because things don't work, you know, that well. And so then he'll be more open to getting fixed as opposed to right when a guy gets drafted, his mechanics are awful, and somebody going, okay, we're going to fix him now, and then all of a sudden, if he doesn't make it, apparently he'll look back on the rest of his life and and blame that guy, which I I don't even think is really a rational argument, but it's an interesting chicken or an egg theory, and that's what I was saying about Team USA. It's like, you're not going to go there, and I was lucky enough... On the, um, 87 team, Jim Morris, who was the head coach of Miami for, you know, a very long time, Georgia tech before that, he was our, you know, pitching coach and, um, great guy. We would talk pitching sequence. We would talk over the hitters. We'd talk in between innings, but there was never a mechanical, there was never a mechanical conversation. You know, I'm, I'm here, I'm here for a reason. Um, he wouldn't dare send me back to Auburn having fixed my landing leg or something, you know, that could be a catastrophe if it doesn't work.
0: So you're just picking, picking their brain basically, but not instruction.
1: Uh, not physical instruction. I mean, I mean, I mean, mental, like
0: maybe mental approach.
1: Yeah. Mental approach. But I mean, there, there's nothing, uh, the only way that I was what I was what I was describing as you know getting fixed was physical. Mm-hmm. I you, you can you can you know I have no problem walking up to a guy and saying, Hey, you know, why don't you try to hold your curveball this way or why don't you think about you know creating spin on your cut fastball this way or something like that, because that you can easily go back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um It's like you know, and then all of a sudden, if you go change your golf swing, and it takes you weeks or months to figure out where you were and what you're (laughs) doing now, and right, and uh, is my best analogy.
0: Did that guy ever make it? I I have a sense. I I have a sneaking suspicion. I might know who that was if they made it, but I'm curious
1: if that guy made it. He did, kind of a seventh, eighth inning guy for a couple years. I think I know who it is. Never heard from again. Do I dare guess? Am I allowed to guess? Yeah, but I'm not quite 100 positive on his name. So go ahead. Was it Carter Caps? No.
0: Okay. Carter Caps stri- strikes me as that kind of that was the guy that had that hop delivery yes. on the mound, and so I thought maybe that was uh, that's who it was. But um, no, that was-
1: this was a uh, a Dominican kid, you know, okay. mid to upper 90s fastball, all arm, very little body. And you know, got. I think he got a year or two years. But you know, kind of late bullpen.
0: Well, uh, they don't make too many like that. So that's uh that's. I, I kind of understand where they're coming from, but I, I do definitely agree with and be, appreciate your viewpoint. Um. So I've seen you do some YouTube videos where you've done instruction, and then too, you did have a bit of a participating role on the show pitch. What has your history of instruction been like? Um. And, and would you like to coach at any high level, uh, from this point on? Um,
1: yeah, I, I've, I've helped out, you know, helped out forever, you know, at the high schools, um, I, I I'll, I'll help out here. I was the undergrad student assistant for the university of Auburn or Auburn university, excuse me, uh, back in, was it 18 or 19, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, Tim Hudson and I are close friends and, and I'll get out there here pretty soon to start. he he and I are different pitchers and he is open to me coming in and and helping out when, uh, when I can. Um, yeah, I'd be open to doing it. I, I I did an interview with, uh, with one, one or two national league teams a couple years ago and their whole thought was contingent on me. Um, me learning all the analytical side of it and, and you know, after the game, looking at spin rates and then sending all the, you know, faxes up to the, the front office with, you know, here's what he did. Here's, you know, how's the success rate on this breaking ball. And I'm just going, well, yeah, but okay. So I sent all those up to you. And then what are you going to do with them? Because you can't fix him.
0: Right. It's kind of your
1: job. Yeah, I was like, I can fix him, and I don't need the spin rates because I can see that the the, the breaking ball either worked or didn't work, and I can tell him why it worked or didn't work, and we can have a conversation. But if I send them up to you, what are you going to do with them, other than call me and tell me to fix him? So (laughs) it just seemed it seemed like a big uh, a big circle of the way that they're you know you expect baseball to be working now, highly analytical with people that. Are creating numbers to show them what they can't see.
0: And what'd you do on pitch? I,
1: I have to ask you. Um, that was a good one. We um, so Chad Kruder, former catcher, uh, was my partner on on a baseball academy out in Southern California. He worked on Moneyball with Brad Pitt, and a guy named Mike Fisher. So Mike Fisher kind of does all the commercials for sports. He did. Uh, Oh golly! Longest yard he did. Glory Road. Any sports movie he is a background guy. He'll um, he'll find the extras. He'll find you know the people that are in charge. So he hired my uh, he hired Cruder for Moneyball, and the Kylie Bunbury, the the the, the actress on Pitch, didn't like the pitching coach that they had worked with and they were getting ready to start shooting down in San Diego at Petco park. And I think, is it still Petco park? I think was so. <laughs>
0: it's, um, these things change. Yeah.
1: yeah, I know. I mean, we, we've already talked about that, but, um, <laughs> so it was like a Wednesday night at four o'clock and I get a phone call from Cruder going, you're going to get a phone call in about five minutes from this guy named Mike Fisher Here's who he is, and just he goes, just take the call. And I was like, okay. And so Fisher calls me up. He goes, hey, they just fired the pitching coach that was kind of a well-known guy in the L.A. area because um, she didn't like him, and they're getting ready to start filming the pilot. It's going to be 12 days down in San Diego. Can you go? And I was like, yeah. And so got down there, and Kylie, uh, Mark-Paul Gossler Mo McCray were the three main actors and uh, got down there the first day on set and started playing catch and started kind of teaching them how to play catch. They'd been working with this pitching coach for a month or two, and and their mechanics were pretty, but they weren't functional. Mm -hmm. So when we went to play catch, um, you didn't stand behind anybody and you didn't stand within about eight feet because they couldn't catch and they couldn't throw. Wow. So it was entertaining, and then we kind of got things going, and I got to be honest, man, that first day on set, when they had some off time, they were down there playing catch. They must have thrown for eight hours and just worked up, worked hard, did the pilot. It was, it was good, and then, you know, had the summer to start filming, and they met me three times a week up in Northern LA and um, you know, we played catch, we threw, we hit, we, we did everything. And um, uh, they were awesome to work with. And that was, that was, I did. I was just kind of like the baseball instructor.
0: So you kind of have a special appreciation for when a guy like Charlie Sheen looks good on camera, throwing the baseball.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, for, I think for the love of the games, probably one of my favorites and, and Costner, Costner's really good. I think that the people that put the um, the background together on it was—I mean, it was phenomenal. Thought processes when he's on the mound—it was—it was—it's fun for me to watch. And um, so that was kind of what I was doing on on the the TV show pitch was—they would send me the script, and you know, I, I'd send it back and go, "Okay, line forty-two on page three. You know, this is what would be said, not this." And for the most part, you know, they didn't question me or get mad at me. They just kind of slashed it and edited it and and put it, put it in the way I said that this is the way they would say it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that part of it was really cool.
0: Yeah. That's one thing that gets me with different forms of media, whether it's a, a baseball video game where they don't quite get how good a player is or not good a player is. And, you know, when it's uh, a TV show and it's, it's, it's not inside baseball terminology. And I mean, it doesn't have to be so far inside the game that people like me wouldn't even understand it, but you want to make it feel genuine to people who know enough about baseball to know what, uh, what that's all like. So I have an appreciation for that too.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. Got to, you know, every time, Kylie would be, you know, thrown off the mound and and at Petco or Dodger Stadium, you know, they'd they'd break to move the cameras to a different angle and then, you know, do it again. And she'd call me over and ask me a couple of questions. Okay, what's my thought? What you know, what am I doing here? And um, I, I felt like a pitching coach, honestly, the way that she went about her work of, you know, why am I why do I keep missing up and, you know, up and into righties? (laughs) <laughs> it's just like, okay, you know what? This is what you probably need to do to fix it. And she'd work on it and try it. And it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Got to be kind
0: of unique though, for it to not be contingent on results in terms of facing hitters, but in terms of what it looks like on camera, which is uh kind of a funny way to think about it. So you, you get to the big leagues and you start working with Al Jackson. How, how did that relationship evolve and how did your relationship with your, your college coach prepare you for that? Because again, too, you know, we've talked about the difference in those relationships, but I, I have to imagine at least there were some common threads because pitching is pitching, you know, it's interrupting timing. It's keeping guys off balance. You know, there's a lot of common threads to pitching across all levels, but, um, you know, how did that, that relationship evolve in the first, you know, few months or maybe a year?
1: Um, you know what? He kind of. It was different than my college coach. My college coach and I, um, this kind of had a, a different relationship. But when I when I got to Baltimore, Al was Al was great. He was, I think he was preparing me for the rest of my life and, and letting me know that a lot of my thought processes weren't really correct. Um, and it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of mechanical stuff. It was just. You know, discussing hitters, discussing you know what my sequence was, and then you know when I came up to the big leagues, and you know, all through my whole life, I kind of worked backwards. I was like, okay, I'm going to strike you out. So how do I get there? And so that was that was my whole thought process going through my my rookie year, my second year was okay. If I'm going to strike you out, how do I how do I get go about getting to the end result where I got two strikes and, and like a O two or one, two count. And so I'd be like, okay, I need to probably start here and then get to here. And then I can go here and here to strike you out. And that was exactly the way I thought about everybody. And, um, you know, Al Jackson's like, yeah, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why? And so a lot of our conversations were, you know, yeah, you can't do that. Why? And then so we, we would have that conversation of where he's preparing me for the rest of my life of pitching. Of yeah, I, I can't go about trying to strike out the whole world, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, you know, if I'm out there for two innings trying to get a first-pitch ground ball to shortstop, you know, just to try to get an easy out and, and uh, you know, take the load off and keep my pitch count down.
0: So were you a closer
1: in the wrong era then? Um, Man, yeah, this this thought process would have been a lot of fun right now with right? everybody, you know. Uh, before I got hurt, I, you know, I'd, I'd give up maybe one home run a year.
0: And strike out a guy uh, in yeah. inning? Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I you wouldn't get right very, many home, not very many home runs, so I'd get a lot of nice fly balls and uh, strikeouts.
0: So you, they didn't have ground ball or fly ball rate back then, but you would have been a fly
1: ball guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I threw a little bit of a two seam, you know, what they call a sinker, um, mm-hmm. but it didn't. It only induced ground balls from left-handers that were trying to pull it, you know, and it would end up getting rolled over to second base or you know, sure. shortstop. But um, yeah, it wasn't a big, it wasn't a big ground ball guy.
0: Well, good thing you had a pretty good shortstop. Um, Yeah. (laughs) How long did it take before you were comfortable with him to kind of share your views and and that sort of thing? I mean, obviously you were a headstrong player in the sense that you stormed into Frank's office early in your career. But uh, how how did that relationship evolve from? I mean, I'm I'm assuming he wasn't there that whole time you were in Baltimore.
1: No, Al, um, I think Al got fired either end of 91 or in the middle of 91 with Frank Robinson mm-hmm. and then um, dick Bosman came in um al and I had a good relationship he was a, just a super nice guy he pitched a long time in the big leagues he understood how to get guys out he um, he was he was a positive guy he was never never harsh never you know always had a laugh or a smile just a really solid guy so it was hard um, hard not to like him hard not to have a conversation hard, you know, hard not to pick his brain on something, even though, you know, he was probably uh, I hate to use the phrase, you know, a, a soft throwing lefty. He didn't throw real hard, mm-hmm. but, and so we weren't, we didn't have a whole lot in common, but he pitched in the big leagues and he understood how to get guys out. And um, in the end his you know, way of working hitters and, and getting, getting guys to swing early and counts wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the worst thing, you know?
0: How influential is the first pitching coach you have in the big leagues? Would you say,
1: um, you know what? I, I, I think it's, it's kind of like, uh, your teachers in, in school, you know, you start and somebody gives you something in second grade and then somebody gives you something in third grade and then so by it's, the time it's not just the first, uh-uh, okay not at all. And so there were guys, you know, um, I was lucky enough, I had, you know, Bruce Keeson, who just who passed a couple years ago and was was a solid, solid guy that, you know, pitched in the era of the early 70s with you know with Pittsburgh and just had a viewpoint that um is completely and utterly gone from the game, but it was man, it worked. And um, you know, then another guy that I think would be fun to have on, Mark Connor, who was my pitching coach in Arizona, mm-hmm. and I, I, I probably still would say that one of the smartest pitching coaches that I had been with. Um, and so you just you, you just pick up stuff from guys, and and um, and then there's some guys that you just don't really hit it off with, you know, and and you don't pick anything up. Okay. What, what does the
0: pitching or what did the pitching decision tree look like back in those days like so the twins have Wes Johnson as their pitching coach but they had Bob Bob McClure as like a senior advisor you've got these guys who are kind of synonymous with pitching coach roles in the sense that they've been around but they're they're advisors as opposed to coaches and and then you know you've got these sometimes bring in these gurus and all that stuff what was it just Al Jackson at the top and then everybody else fell in line beneath that? Or how did that work in terms of a decision tree back in those days?
1: I mean, are we talking about through the minor leagues or we, there, there was no other pitching guy. We didn't. Yeah. You know, sure. it's not like the twins have Bob McClure and you know, they bring in Wes Johnson who's got no major league experience whatsoever. Right. Um, and that, you know, that situation, would never have happened. And I, I I always found, you know, the time that we met in Minnesota, I found it intriguing to watch that relationship Mm -hmm. because, you know, you got a guy who was a a college coach that went straight to the big leagues. I'm looking at the big league pitchers going, you know, how much are they listening? Right. And I'm curious. And I, I wonder if that's why they brought Bob McClure in because it's hard to argue with him with his track record and past history at the big league level. Um, And so, I mean, some of the, I hate to say it, you just kind of look at at aspects like that of where you got a guy who had never done it at this level telling you how you need to be doing it. And there is some pushback. And so I'm not, And even some guys that did it at the big league level, you know, made some suggestions to me over my career, you know, after I got hurt, I became mediocre and, um, you know, found ways to get guys out and found ways to stay on teams. And I had some suggestions from some guys that it was just like, we're done. That was really stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm having a hard time trusting you right now. And so there is that aspect, and that was what I was, you know, kind of saying about Wes Johnson. I'm, I'm, I was curious when I was there just watching, you know, mound meetings and, you know, if I could see a little bit of the bullpen and, and you know, what's going on in the dugout, it was, it was curious to me.
0: What's the delegation of duties, at least as far as you know, between a bullpen coach and a regular pitching coach these days?
1: Um, well, it was the bullpen coach running through L. Rod Hendricks with my guy in Baltimore for almost six years. He was a catcher that, you know, was, was smart enough to to know when I was off or when something wasn't working quite right. He, um, uh, he could give me a little something, you know, um, uh, but, and he, but he would know that I was off mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, then I move on and, um, Ned Youst was a bullpen guy in Atlanta, and I'm kind of running through it, and most of them were catchers. And right. that the whole reason for that was, you know, good, solid guys, mainly the catching instructor, and they could catch, you know, guys in the bullpen so that the team wouldn't be having, you know, the second catcher go running out during the game or, you know, have to buy a bunch of bullpen catchers you know and so a lot of them ended up the bullpen guys ended up being catchers so there wasn't a whole lot of instruction it was more just uh filling a role yeah we're not filling a role i mean they had a role of of the catching instructor Mm -hmm. you know at at the big league level which is which is a huge part obviously now if you're watching the big league games how bad the catching has gotten um you know i think we might need more of them but um uh, there were, it was a spot. They answered the phone. They kept the, the bullpen in, in, you know, what's going on and, you know, who might be coming up and where we're at. And so there was, you know, the, the baseball conversation part of it, but it wasn't a whole lot of instruction. So the pitching coach is usually the main guy. Um, not very often do you have – and I'm running through it. I don't. I, I don't think I had a pitcher that was a manager. So pitching coaches, yeah. the dude
0: Mickey Callaway is the only one that comes to mind, and we all know how that went.
1: Well, Bud Black. Um, there you go. Yeah, you know, Bud Black was very intelligent. But uh, like I said before uh, that, Lemon
0: Bob Lemon was he?
1: No outfielder.
0: What am I thinking? He was a pitcher. I uh, and yeah, I don't know why I was thinking he was a pitcher, but good it's name though.
1: What good name? Yeah, well, it is uh, what it is. Chet, Chet Lemon, no.
0: Chet Lemon oh. was an outfielder.
1: Yeah, we're, that's where we're mixing up. Um, okay, because I
0: think Bob Lemon was a pitcher. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, all I got is Bud Black right now.
0: Yeah, no, I, I – uh, it, it's not many. It's not many at all. Um, you mentioned Jackson getting fired. What do you make or what do you think of how temporary it seems like coaching jobs are in baseball? Uh, you know, the Twins just had uh, – um sorry the dog. <laughs> no, it's all good. Uh Bill Evers retired after 30 some odd years in the game, but he was only in that role with the twins for like three or four years. Um, and then you see, you know, people already want to talk about Rocco Baldelli getting fired, even though he led the team to back-to-back division crowns, had an off season. It just seems to me like that lack of stability is actively hurtful in the game, but I suspect you could have a a much more um, pertinent
1: viewpoint. I mean, it's, it's every coaching job in sports now, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's temporary. You don't see guys coming in and staying for a decade. It um, it's just the way it is. The, the, the team doesn't have patience. I don't like it. Well, I don't either, but it's, it's all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you know uh, like they didn't think Showalter could, could do the rebuild with the Orioles, you know, and he was more of a veteran guy. And I was like, "Well, he completely built up the Arizona Diamondbacks in '98. He was the guy that built the whole Yankees thing." Yeah, he handed him know. over to Joe Torre, didn't he? Yeah, and so I'm like, "Going, well, that doesn't make any sense." And then you just hear the reasoning behind it. Oh, the the message is getting old, or. I love that they're blaming pitching coaches or the, you know, Chili Davis gets fired from New York and, you know, with their batting average drop another nine points. I mean,
0: Uh, that happened in uh, San Diego too. They fired their pitching coach and then uh, it was a Larry Rothschild. And then they went like nine and 24 the rest of the way with a five ERA.
1: Larry, I had Larry. Larry was the triple-A guy in Atlanta in 94. Legendary name. Legendary name. And he ended up moving on and having a. Um, I mean, obviously, he just got fired this year. So 94 to.
0: 27 now. years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you're firing a guy who's got that much knowledge, who actually pitched. Stupid. It, it's, yeah, it's not his fault. You know, I mean, that would be me giving up a a two run lead in the ninth inning and the pitching coach getting yelled at for it is stupidity. I'm a grown man that all I'm doing is I'm sitting in the bullpen and we're trying to fix what's going on with your problems. Or we're discussing, you know, like Greg Swindell said last week, Nolan Ryan's working through the, you know, the next, the next game and going through the, 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 the lineup, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what you're doing as a pitching coach. And then you're sitting there in the dugout and having a mild conversation, but you know um, to blame the pitching coach or the hitting coach for a team is just throwing somebody under the bus.
0: Well, and we're repeatedly told how it's a game of failure and yet we lose sight of that. I mean, if, if there's 2,500 big league games played, there will always be 1,250 winners and 1,250 losers. You can have, a tremendous at bat and be out. You can hit the crap out of the ball and a guy makes a 100th percentile play and you're out. It's not wanting it more. I think people just lose sight of that. There's a winner and a loser on every play. There's a winner and a loser on every, in every game. And like, we always are searching for, well, why did this happen? Because it had to, somebody had to win and somebody had to lose that. That's just how it is. And I feel like that seeps into our baseball intellect or lack thereof for how we view the game now. And we don't let people fail. And again, I'm probably sounding like kind of an old man, get off my lawn kind of thing. But we, again, we we talk so much about how it's a game of failure and yet we're afraid of the failure
1: still. I just, I think it's a lack of patience. You yeah. know, you just, you look at the head coaches getting fired. Like I said, Chili Davis is one of the smartest guys I've been around hitting wise. And he gets canned, and and I'm looking at the guys with the Mets, going, it's not his fault. No, I guarantee you know. I mean, I'm firing a hitting coach if he's not meeting my guys in the caves at one o'clock if they want to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm firing him for that. If he's not able to give you any decent drills or something to you know move you out of what you're doing wrong or your rut, then okay, we'll have that conversation. But to fire a hitting coach or a pitching coach because the team's ERA is a 5.2. We need to be looking at the front office and who we have pitching. Yeah. You know, or who we have hit. It's, it's not that hard. I mean, your
0: team can have a five two, but if you've made two guys way better than they were before and some guys are sliding, maybe it's their work ethic and you're still doing your job. I mean, it, it's it's way more than just surface level, and I think we lose sight of that as fans, as analysts, as, I mean, even baseball men in the game. So again, that's, it's a brief aside, but just something that drives me crazy that I see um, on a regular basis. Yeah. So in your estimation, because you obviously, and we beat this drum a lot, you didn't start a game in the big leagues, but how did a relationship or does a relationship vary between a starter and a reliever with a pitching coach?
1: Oh, I think the starters have much more of a relationship on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the conversation day after. There's the conversation two days after. There's a bullpen side. Um, you know, maybe day four, start, you know, they're going to sit there. The, the pitching coach is going to lead the, 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 the pregame meeting. Um, I mean, if, whether the starter for the next day sits in there, I, I think they should. I, I don't know if they always do right so there there's almost a day to day contact where i can go I can go a week and not have any meaningful conversation with a pitching coach and it's it's not the worst thing it's just it is what it is you know i mean i had some some great conversations with Mark Connor, you know while I was kind of getting my my legs back underneath me in ninety eight mm-hmm. um Love, you know, loved him during the time that I was struggling in '99. He was he was there to to talk and, and run through things. Um, and most of my guys were. I had John Matlack in, in Detroit and he helped, you know, give me a change up. You just have guys that are there around, you know, a lot of the conversation is, hey, how you feel? Yeah. And it's just I threw last night, and you know, I'm giving you my I'm good to go or I'm not good to go. And and this is you know the extent of the conversation <laughs> how, how, how different was the relationship
0: between a pitching coach you had for multiple seasons versus one season or part of a season like you would have i i think dick such would have still been with the twins in 97 so again that's that's maybe not a good example because you weren't there half a year or anything but even just let's let's say you were um were you with atlanta full season i'm trying to remember like was Mazzoni uh, there at that time? No, not really.
1: I mean, we got we went on strike, so I, I only had Mazzoni for three or four months. Yeah, so how, um,
0: how did that, that level of, of um, multi-years versus one year versus a few months, how did that
1: all vary? It's a trust that's gained over time. And you don't you know, get I mean, that time sometimes. Yeah, sadly, I think the only guys that I had multiple years was Al Jackson, Dick Bosman. Um, Bruce Keeson was with Kansas city, both mm-hmm. times that I was there, 95 and 97. And then I had Mark Connor in Arizona. I had, um, two different pitching coaches in, in LA. So yeah, I didn't really, you know, get a chance to build much, but you know, the, the relationships I had with Al Jackson, Bosman and Mark Connor, or even Keeson, you know, Keeson was still, I don't even know if I was with him for a full year, but. It was just time spent, and I'd see him, you know, as a visiting guy, and and uh, I just you build a, a strong bond with the guys because you're there day to day, and and you're you're fighting for the same thing, you're fighting to win, and and they're here to help me, and you know, if something comes up, I'm you know I, I got their back.
0: To and I don't ask this in a joking sense, but to what extent are they your baseball psychologist or psychiatrist?
1: um there is there there is a big piece of that uh you gotta you gotta find somebody to talk to you got sometimes you can you, you got a teammate that you can dump everything on mm-hmm. And a lot of time, a lot of times you know the younger guy it, it's it's falling on your pitching coach and they build a relationship through that of of him giving wise advice and I mean, man, it's, it's on the field. It's off the field. It's girlfriends. It's, you know, it can be a bit of everything. It's that type Mm -hmm. of relationship. So they
0: say this is an old adage, but those who can't do teach, Uh, did you ever notice any difference between guys who had been good pitchers and guys who hadn't versus pitching coaches? I mean, you know, there's a, I'm sure a reason why Mike Maddox is a legendary pitching coach, but Greg Maddox is a legendary pitcher or, You know, Mel Stottlemyre, you know, had his role or a lot of the pitching coaches were not household names as pitchers. Did you ever notice any kind of pattern there or is it all about just kind of what they have between the ears?
1: I think it's what they have between the ears. I mean, I'm thinking Bruce Keeson was a good, solid pitcher in the early 70s. John Matlack. I mean, Al Jackson, you know, got a lot of time or a little bit of time with the Mets. Uh, John Farrell um, was
0: one that was around John for a while.
1: Fer- yeah, John Farrell, I played with in, in Detroit, and he was he was smart. Uh, you know, and, and at that point in '96, he didn't have great stuff. You know, solid, um, kind of an Andy Bennis four seam. You know, straight fastball, and you know, relied on the location and the change of speeds. Um, but the 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 can't do so they teach I think I'm a good teacher at this craft because I had to evolve I had to learn I had to fix make mistakes uh, and fix them or get hurt and fix it yeah so you know some people said Frank Robinson was a great wasn't a great manager it was I I think he had a hard time understanding you know the failure rate
0: yeah Ted Williams Uh, same thing
1: yeah and so I think there's an aspect of that. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know if I take offense to the, that phrase, but, you know, I, I, I feel like I could do it and I feel like I can teach it just because I've, I've gone through a lot of it and had to, you know, constantly self-evaluate, self-teach, learn, you know, and, and do different things to survive. And so, you know, some of the guys that maybe, like I said, John Matlack, solid, you know, major league guy, Keeson, Al Jackson, not household names by any stretch of the right. imagination, but probably pitched long enough to go, okay, this. And then you, 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 you know, play with Mike Mussina or Rick Sutcliffe or Ben McDonald, and you start running through it, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, and, and you pick up things, yep. you know. Um, my father – is still, you know, doing pitching lessons and has guys in college baseball and some of throughout minor league guys that uh, he never pitched a day in his life. And, you know, was a catcher in the minor leagues with the Yankees for a year and ended up being a high school coach. And then a little bit of a, a pitching coach at Creighton university mm-hmm. and all he did. I mean, he talks to this day of, you know, we're playing in a golf tournament with Trevor Hoffman and he grabs Hoffman on like the third hole with a golf ball. And he goes, show me how you throw your change up. And he spends the next 14 holes picking Trevor Hoffman's brain. And he hasn't forgotten it, you know, and that was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't forgotten that minute and the, everything that Trevor said. And then I'm talking breaking ball and Sutcliffe is talking rhythm and working hitters and, and all these things. It's not necessarily what you do. It's, it's what you learn because I don't have all the answers, but I've played yeah. with a lot of guys who can fill in blanks.
0: Well, one thing that drives me crazy, and it's mostly watching football, but uh, to some extent, baseball too, is when people blame coaching. Oh, they got out coached. They got out coached. You know, in, in your estimation, what percent of what you did was you versus the coach? I'm assuming 80, 20. Some kind of, you know, obviously there's some effect that they gave you, but um, the idea that the coach takes the fall because a guy jumps for a false start drives me absolutely bananas. You don't (laughs) need a coach to tell you not to mess up the snap count. I just, I don't understand it. Am I, am I completely off here or or to what extent did you feel like they gave back to you in that hundred percent? Were you 85 and they were 15? Were you 80 and 20? How did that in your mind equate? I mean,
1: from the pitching side of it, it was, it was a hundred percent or 99 and one, it was, you know, everything we were doing, it was us and you know, the, the lead up into it was, you know, the bullpen and getting things squared away was the coach. So we'll go 95, five. Yeah. I mean, you know, if a game got screwed up, it was a hundred percent my fault. Right. You know, it wasn't coaching. It wasn't, it was me making a pitch selection or me not making a pitch. You know, the football side of it, you can kind of look at. And if, you know, a, another team pulls out a whole different offense and starts doing something that they've never done before, you know, um, then you go, okay, they got out coached. Baseball side, man, y- you don't see guys getting out coached very often. Mm hmm. It's uh you know they, they let you lay down a bunt or you do a hit and run,
0: maybe put a guy out on the on deck circle to bluff something like that,
1: yeah, or pin and, and it's, it's a pinch hit, so yeah, you know the, the really good ones know where the, the game's gonna be going and are prepared for it, and, but the normal fans not gonna be able to sit there and go you know in a baseball game, they got out coached, yeah, and you, you just can't because right, it's gonna be one move in the seventh inning that was, you know, that might've been the, the, the break in the game and who's going to see it.
0: No, nobody on this side of the fence. Anyway, uh, just a couple more things before we let you go. If you're still doing good on time, I hope. Um, yeah. You're the one that's got to work out. Uh, I definitely do. Uh, what, <laughs> what was a typical mound visit? Like, I think we've talked about this before, but what was a typical mound visit like with uh, you know, any one of your pitching coaches?
1: Um, most of them were, you know, trying to get myself back on track. So if, if I was, um, I suppose too, there weren't <laughs> that many, because if you had a mound visit as a
0: short inning reliever, you were probably in hot water.
1: I was in way hot water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, you're flying open or you're missing high, you know, let, let, let's make an adjustment on this. And, and then I either do or I don't. And or, we're or we're sandbagging uh,
0: to get the next guy hot.
1: Not very often.
0: Okay. You know, I
1: mean, I was lucky enough to kind of be in it. And I, I wasn't out there where guys just out there stalling and, but, and standing there. I, I, I can't ever think of one, honestly. Well, you closed uh, a
0: lot. So probably not, obviously.
1: Well, yeah. And if, if, you know, the game's over by the time that I screw it up. Um, right. The managers, I mean, I remember Frank Robinson coming out a couple times.
0: That's terrifying.
1: Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. He actually looked at me one time, and, and uh, he came out, and we were in Kansas City my rookie year, and I was making a mess. And he just looks at me. And he goes, you see all these gray hairs? They're all because of you. You're killing me. And it was it, it was comical, terrifying, because he said it with a straight face. And I'm 22 years old, just looking at him going, uh, you know, because I'm making a mess. I'm in the middle of a mess, you know. So the last thing you want to think about is that I'm making Frank Robinson gray and old. Show Walter had a good one coming out where he, um, oh, man, first and second in Shea Stadium Mm -hmm. in 98. And Lenny Harris lays down a bunt, you know, really good bunt down the third baseline. I go plant to get it. Both feet slide out underneath me. You know, I can't make a throw because I'm sitting on my butt at, at home plate. Mm-hmm. And so I got bases loaded. I think it was a two-run lead. Day game, Sunday, you know. And, and so Showalter comes walking out, which was pretty rare. And he just comes out and, you know, whole infield's in there. And he just looks at me. He goes, we're going to have a whole lot of fun getting out of this. And I was like, okay, yeah, was a good message. I like that. I can appreciate that. You know, and so it was. Uh, I ended up ground ball to second base, got that pop up, strikeout. You know, only gave up the one run, and and uh, we won. And, and kind of look at Buck afterwards. I was like, I like that. That was nice. So
0: yeah, that's good. Vote <laughs> combo. You know,
1: you get some. I, I maybe one. I can't even think of it. If there was one of of you know getting lit up by a pitching coach or a manager, but those happen. You know, most of the time those happen when uh, you see him tell the, the infield not to come in.
0: Right. Um, what makes this is this is a wide open question, so take it wherever you want. What makes a good pitching coach?
1: Uh intelligent, knows the game, um, knows the twelve guys on his, his staff that uh, and, and knows you know knows them well enough that uh conversation about their girlfriend, conversation about their mechanics, conversation about what they're working on. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's about it for me. You know, it's, it's knowing your guys intelligent, um, always ready to work. And, and those guys you can sit in the bullpen and you can tinker with your mechanics. If something's just a little bit off, we can, we can talk about how to get Barry Bonds out. If that conversation comes up, um, we'll have a laugh with you. You know, a couple of them will sit down and have a couple beers with you and, and talk and and, uh, and, like I said, a psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever else is needed to get you off a cliff.
0: What makes a bad pitching coach?
1: Somebody who thinks he's got you all figured out. Um that's just bad in baseball in general.
0: If you think you have the game figured out, you have a lot more to learn than you thought.
1: Yeah. But I mean, just, you know, not a whole lot of a, a two way conversations about things, you know?
0: So no curiosity, but, no creativity.
1: Yeah. I feel like, you know, by the time that I'm kind of running through things, I'm in year seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had things to offer in, in, in a conversation. And, uh, if, there wasn't ever any conversations or it was a one-sided, this is what we need to do. Didn't really float my boat. Um, trying to think. I mean, really, that was it. I, I had a couple of guys I really didn't dig. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say any names. But it was just, you know, you think you know me. You think you got me figured out. You're, you don't. You're wrong. You're way off. And we're not building much of a relationship.
0: Well, and especially at that point in your career when you were moving around a bit, it would have been hard to figure you out anyway because there just wasn't that much time, let alone the fact that, you know, the game is as complex as it is. What what I want to know, too, what what takes a good pitching coach to a legendary one? You know, we talk about Mel Stoudemire, Don Cooper, Ray Searage, all these guys over courses of...
1: Yeah. What takes a guy from good to legendary? Seems like staff... Timing, you know, the ability to, to take somebody that is broken and then he comes over to you and all of a sudden he's winning 18 games. Mm-hmm. Um, you take know, a non-tender a horse-
0: and turn him into a Cy Young candidate.
1: Yeah, kind of a horse whisperer, you know, where it's, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, somebody that attracts people, you but know, like- that, that, come, that will come over to the team that are broken, that are, you know, veteran guys that need to be fixed and they'll they'll come over just for that
0: kind of feels like San Francisco's that right now with what they've done with Kevin Gaussman especially but they tried to do it with Aaron Sanchez they had a few guys that they've turned around and I think uh, Pittsburgh was that way for a while when they were in the business of uh, contending in the central about 10 years ago when they turned Francisco Liriano around maybe tarnished their reputation a little bit that Garrett Cole left and got better but Uh, It's always intriguing to me to see what makes a great pitching coach take it up to the next level. Um, We all know about Tom House and the footballs that he had the the Rangers pitchers throw back in the mid-90s. Did you ever have any pitching coaches that had unique methods or what's the most unique method that you can remember?
1: I didn't really. I didn't. Um, You know, Mazzoni had his way of doing things and, you know, was very stubborn with his conversations on breaking balls. And it was, it was kind of, kind of interesting, but hard to um, spend a whole lot of time arguing with him when he's got Smoltz, Glavin, you know, Maddox. Avery. Um, yeah. So I, I really didn't have anybody that, that, that was kind of off campus and trying to invent stuff. You know, I had um, kind of Guy Hansen who ended up pitching, being pitching coach a little bit with Kansas city, I believe was a little quirky and had some different ideas. But for the most part, I mean, they were based on an intelligent theory. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I, I found most of them were, were fairly, fairly accurate.
0: Uh, is there any part of instruction today, though, that you think has improved since you played or things that you would wish had existed when you played? I mean, obviously, you talked about the, the methodology or the idea be- behind striking everyone out. And again, to uniquely knowing that ideally your role in today's game would be getting out of the game with a win in 10 pitches or fewer striking out the side, whatever. Uh, Is there anything that pitching coaches are doing now or that you see now that you'd have been like, man, I would have liked to have had that?
1: I think all the video abilities, capabilities, um, you know, to be able to slow down, break down mechanics, the Rap Soto. You know, to be able to break down the ball out of the hand, the spin rate stuff would have been would have been interesting for me. Just to tinker with grips a little bit more than just going feels good, doesn't feel good. You know, I've thrown ten of these two seamers with my grip this way; it ain't working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not getting any other feedback other than my catcher going, "Yeah, it isn't that great." So, some oh, yeah. of that stuff, you know, the the spin rate, the rap soda would have been interesting.
0: But I suppose at the same time, too, the fact that you didn't have it didn't change the fact that nobody else had it either. So it, yeah, we're all, we're of the, all yeah, you didn't know it
1: existed. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, that's all I have for this week. Did you, is there anything oh. I left on the plate that, uh, I don't think so. Dude, you're awesome. You really are. Well, I Very appreciate good. that. Uh, hopefully people agree that we're awesome and check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Libs, and give us five stars. Um, we still have to give away a couple baseballs. I'll send some baseballs to your house get you a label so you can send them to me if that's okay. Um, right. We'll have that happen. But again, patreon.com slash that 90s baseball pod. We have a three, five, 10, and a $25 tier level. If people don't know, I named them MLB journeyman, rookie of the year, all-star, and Orioles hall of famer. I have no idea where those could have come from. They're just random, obviously. So uh, again, thanks again to Greg. Thank you so much for coming on this week. Um, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but we're trying to get, a former big league catcher who caught at least one no hitter that I can think of, but maybe more, uh, knock on wood. I'm hoping he'll come on here in the next couple of weeks, but until then, thank you so much for coming on. I think these one-on-ones turn out pretty good too.
1: No, this was fun. This All was right. fun. You did a great job of questions. Well, take
0: good care of that puppy right. and let us know what the name is. I got to take Rockle out here. I think <laughs> crash sounds great though. Um, yeah. thanks again, everyone for listening to that 90s baseball pod powered by excess twins. We'll catch you next week.